Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, greetings and salutations from the great state of Alabama. Thought I would get on here this afternoon on this Thursday to do a little the uh, theology Thursday. So we can adjust the camera just a bit, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, wanted to talk about the A's and B's of Christian sexuality, or more precisely, uh, that's the best title I could come up with. More precisely, talking about side A and side B Christianity, or side A and side B Christians. Maybe something you heard of before, maybe something you haven't heard of before. I, I know you uh, you will understand the content uh, as we get into it because you've heard some of the arguments, I'm sure, because it, it relates to the issue of um, homosexuality, the LGBTQAI2+, whatever the acronym is now, the Alphabet Mafia, and how it, uh, how we, how different groups of people who call themselves Christians um, react to that, understand that, think about it theologically. And so side A, side B are two of the most common threads. There, there are some others out there, a side X and a side Y, <clears throat> that kind of explain how we ought to respond to those. But I, I won't go into detail on those because I'm going to tell you how I think we ought to, exp- we ought to engage these two uh ideologies from these two different perspectives and uh really the side b part of it the side a once we get into it you'll see it's something you've heard before and you see all the time uh the side b part of it the 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 ideology or the theology or the the teaching is something that i hadn't really encountered necessarily maybe i have seen it on the peripheral a little bit um and it's nothing new. It's something that's been around a while. I just I just finally caught up with it, uh, and it really was because I watched a uh, a debate the other day between a Dr. James White, who's the uh, director of Alpha and Omega Ministries, and Dr. Gregory Coles, um, who is claims to be a Christian and um, a gay Christian. That's specifically uh, how he identifies himself. So that's the side B part of it. And he, he, he is more of an advocate of the side B aspect of this dealing, how Christians ought to deal with, um, homosexuality as it relates to Christianity. And so I thought we'd talk about that just a bit. Now I'm going to try something cause you know, I'm still working out this, these new, uh, program trying to figure out how to do things and see if it actually works so bear with me on that we're 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 we should be broadcasting simultaneously to facebook uh live and to youtube at this moment i've been lax on getting things up on rumble uh, but maybe I can, I can catch up on that because something like this youtube may not uh, may not leave it up there or or uh, Facebook, if if enough people see it or somebody reports it, they won't leave it up there either. So Rumble might be the only option. But we're all putting it on the uh, RK Ministries podcast. So go find the uh, podcast wherever podcasts are available and like and share and subscribe to that. And also uh, to uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, you can find me there. Go go 
find like subscribe on youtube and obviously if you're watching on facebook you already found me so anyway i'm gonna try because i got a theme song i put on all my podcasts and not theme songs kind of an opening songs you know 20 30 seconds and on this program you're supposed to be able to play that and it'll show it on the screen uh last couple times i've tried it it does play but it only shows a black background it doesn't show the little logo that you can probably see right behind me uh there so let me hit that right quick and see how it works so i can come back and look at facebook in just a bit and see see what uh what happens so just bear with it you may just hear music and see a black screen or you may hear nothing well don't leave me i'm coming back let's see what happens Well, that was the song. Hopefully you heard it. If you didn't, you can go listen to it on the podcast because I'll put it on there every time I do one. And uh, Anyway, I'm going to remove that so I don't have to worry about it anymore. So I'm going to try to share. I, I made a few, uh, I guess, slides, if you will. I got it in PDF form on another tab on my computer. <clears throat> so I'm going to try to share those slides with you so if if it works you should see the slide in the big screen and a little bitty small screen with uh, my lovely face uh, in that uh, small screen so uh, that's my goal so you can see the notes that I'm using as I go along with this so I'm going to try to try to share this uh, this screen and so hopefully you see it doesn't show me down at the bottom but that's okay you don't have to see me uh, and maybe it does show me on Facebook. I, I don't know. But, but anyway, that's the title of it. And if I go over and go up one, let's see if it'll let me advance those uh, on. Got to get back to the other tab. There it does. It did let me advance it. So anyway, uh, you, you can see uh, the notes, hopefully. Uh, and so... I think I can switch back and forth between those. So the obvious thing that we're going to talk about today is the issue of side A and side B Christianity. And so I thought I would define that for you, side A <clears throat> Christianity. And side A Christianity, I, I got this definition. You can see the link that's on there is very small, so you may not be able to read it. But it's ultimately, there's a, there's a wonderful website out there. Now, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't agree with everything that's on it and... and um, so I'm not so I'm not saying that it's the best in the world, but I'm saying it is good and it's a good resource. And if you've got just a general question about something, you can go to a web, the website's called GotQuestions.com, uh, and, and it's based and it's a biblical question. You can answer theological questions, whatever. You just type in the subject or whatever, and somebody uh, on that uh, or in that organization has dealt with it, and they use a lot of good resources. Uh, when they're dealing with that. And so this is this is where I got the definition for these. Um, and as we go through them, you'll already know that you understood the definition of side A in particular because it's stuff that you've heard before. And so side A Christianity, here, here's what's 
those who are, really it's called side A Christians, okay? Side A Christians, and it's coming from the perspective of a Christian who is dealing with the issue of homosexuality in our culture and how that relates to the church and the gospel and those type things. And so from the side A Christian perspective, here's what they believe. And really there's two main uh, thoughts. And, and, and again, this is painting with a broad brush, okay? Uh, and you can go find other places. Uh, I'll, I'm going to share a guy... Uh, a, a statement for our, or two from a guy in just a moment, Dr. Uh, Christopher Ewan, Y-U-A-N, uh, who has real, real good, um, he's thought through this issue quite a bit. Now, again, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's come to conclude in his thinking through this. But he's neither side A or, or side B, the best I can understand about where he stands on this. Um, but anyway, he, he, he kind of gives a good under give he will give you a good understanding of the cultural discussion i guess you can say in, in the theological discussion as it relates to it uh so anyway uh side a christians believe that god intentionally created queer or gay people with same-sex attractions therefore same-sex relationships are blessed by god side a is commonly called the affirming view now, when I read that, most of you probably said, well, yeah, I've seen Christians who believe that, right? I've seen uh, churches who have, who have given into that ideology, and they, they believe that, and they affirm that as an alternate lifestyle, as a God-designed alternate lifestyle. And then the second part of the definition that I thought would be good for us to read was, uh, the side A Christians affirm that believers can be part of same-sex relationships if they choose because that desire is made by God and is honoring uh, to him. Now probably one of the <clears throat> one of the best proponents of the side A Christianity that and, and he, he's been around for a while. Uh, his book came out some time ago. Uh, and he's actually done a lot of speaking on the issue, and that's, uh, that's Matthew Vines. Uh, Matthew Vines wrote a book many years ago called uh, God and the Gay Christian. And listen to the subtitle of the book, and it'll kind of give you an idea of where he stands. Uh, the title should, God and the Gay Christian, right? The, pre the implication is that there can be a such thing as a gay or homosexual Christian. So the subtitle is The Biblical Case in Support of Same-Sex Relationships. And obviously, uh, there, there are some biblical difficulties that one has to deal with if they're going to try to hold uh, to side A Christianity, uh, where they are completely affirming of homosexuality and, and gay marriage and, you know, gay relationships uh, and those type things. So, but Matthew Vines is, and you may have heard that name, he is one who is very prominent uh, in the discussion as it relates to side A uh, Christians. Now, side B Christians, let me maneuver through my screens and see if I can get this uh, up for you, side B, Christian, so you can see the definition with me. And again, <clears throat> going to share that one of these days. I'll, uh, I'll be able to work through this. There it goes. It's finally working like it's supposed to from my side anyway, what I see, and I just clicked off of it. <laughs> so, uh, so what I see is me, a, a little me down at the bottom right-hand corner of my screen, and uh, then the big 
picture, and hopefully that's something. That's what you see. So side B Christianity, you can see uh, the definition again from uh, gotanswers or gotquestions.com is the website where this definition came from, and it's really kind of a broad general definition. But three three things I thought in, as I read that definition, and I think in that de- in the debate, uh, the best I could tell from Dr. Gregory Coles. Um, in his theological understanding would align with the, the, the tenets of this definition that I chose to show to you uh, today. So first, side B, Christians believe homosexual orientation is not a sin. So right off the bat, we see that the underlying implication or the underlying premise, maybe, of both side A and side B are almost the same as it relates to homosexual identity or homosexual orientation, that that is a valid orientation and hence not sinful or not disordered. And we'll talk more about the disordered aspect in just just a bit. So it goes on to say, Side B Christians believe homosexual orientation is not a sin, but acting on homosexual inclinations is. So it's not a sin necessarily, uh, according to side B Christians, to have homosexual desires, passions, um, but it is a sin to act on those. Now, now we definitely agree with the second part of that, that it is a sin to act on those homosexual desires, uh, and we'll talk more about the first part of it and the whole idea of identity and orientation in, in just a moment, um, and the disorderedness aspect of it in just a moment, but but it, it's also a sin to act out on, um, to use common language, the heterosexual sinful sexual tendencies and temptation that people have as well. So in that sense, it's a, homosexuality is a sexual sin, just like adultery or you know promiscuity, sex outside of marriage, those kinds of, of things. So the second part of this definition is that side B Christians take the position that sexual relationships between people of the same sex are morally wrong. So while in the first part, it's not wrong to have homosexual orientation, it is wrong to engage in homosexual sex, homosexual sexual activity, homosexual sexual relationships. Says, but romantic. And here's one of the distinctions. And again, this one may need, need to be nuanced a little bit, and not everybody may necessarily agree uh, with this aspect of it that are side B Christians. But for the most part, I think side B Christians would affirm this idea that you can have platonic, if you will, um, relationships, same-sex relationships that may be romantic in a sense, but do not engage in the aspect of uh, the sexual, um, you know, involvement. So it goes on to say, but romantic relationships are different. So celibate same-sex partners are not necessarily wrong. And that's a big thing that side be Christianity or Christians um, are proponents of. Hey, you're, you're a homosexual, you have homosexual orientation, that's just the way you are, and the only alternative you have, based on side B Christianity, is that you 
either get married to someone of the opposite sex that you find that you have been attracted to, that's the out, or you stay celibate all of your life, all right, and you don't engage in sexual activity uh, at all. Uh, and they go on to say, and they use the term queer in this thing, but homosexual, gay, whatever term suits your fancy on that. But uh, queer individuals can maintain their sexual identity. And again, there's, there's the identity part. It goes back to the first part, this idea of homosexual orientation. So again, the, the premise of this side B Christian or side B Christianity, the premise of the thought, the ideology, the theology is that uh, sexual identity is a God-ordained thing. It's a God-created thing. And it's not necessarily in and of itself um, sinful. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. And even celibate, uh, let me read that sentence again. Queer individuals can maintain their sexual identity. In other words, they can be gay Christians. And even celebrate it while remaining celibate. So they can be active in the idea of the quote-unquote gay community, unquote. Uh, and again, I don't think there's no, any such thing as a gay community. Um, all you got to do is look at the acronyms in there, right? When the T comes along, it is in direct opposition to the L and the G, uh, the LGB, uh, right? <laughs> right? Uh, so anyway, there's dissension in, in the ranks, even with the acronym that is there. But that's uh, another topic for another day. So they can remain, they can keep their sexual identity, and they can even celebrate their sexual identity. I am a gay Christian, right? Uh, while remaining celibate. And that's the kicker for them. They, the only out is either remain celibate all of your life. Or um, the only other option is if that you, you find yourself falling in love with someone who is of the opposite sex and get married. And then the third aspect of this definition is in the side B Christians in, encourage they encourage all believers either to marry a member of the opposite sex or if they are same sex attracted to live celibately uh, and get involved in an understanding church community. All right, and then I'll give you, I've given you the name of, of it's the first guy I've seen who has probably fits this mold as a Christian who is a leader in a church who calls himself a gay Christian, and that's Dr. Gregory Coles, who was in the debate with James White. And you can go look that up on Alpha Omega Ministries. Um, and, and I know it's out on Twitter where you can they live-streamed it, and you can go watch it. It's, it's well worth the watch. Um, but anyway, he, he wrote a book as well, and his uh, foundational book was Single Gay Christian. And so again, inheriting the title is the identity aspect of side B Christianity. And then he says a personal, the subtitle is a personal journey of faith and sexual identity. So again, the issue is this concept of identity in uh, side B Christianity and side A Christianity. Now, I think for most of us, we're going to find that side A Christianity, the dangers of that Theologically and biblically are apparent, right? Um, I'll try to get the screen up for you again, but it, it is apparent. The dangers are apparent inside a, for most of us who are Bible-believing Christians, we understand that this idea of same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage, um, this 
concept that God created you that way is really unbiblical. So in my notes, I put danger, real Will Robinson, right? Uh, we, we know we, we can see the obvious unbiblical aspect to side A Christians or side A Christianity and that ideology. And the first thing that I think of when I think about homosexuality and, you know, we can go to what, you know, people use as a derogatory term toward us, toward Christians, toward Orthodox Christians who deny the idea that homosexuality is an alternate lifestyle, deny the idea that it is something that God created you to be. Uh, they, they use this term, the clobber passage, we, passages. We can go to all the clobber passages, as they say, that deal specifically with homosexuality, you know, Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and um, uh, I think First Corinthians 6. We'll talk about that one in a minute. We'll go to, we'll go to Romans 2 in, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, we can go to all those passages and, and see right off the bat that God has revealed to us in his word that homosexuality among other sexual sins right all sexual sin is sinful and he calls homosexuality an abomination uh, leviticus but all sexual sin in a sense is an abomination to the lord um, because it it goes against god's created order and design for sexuality and relationships as we see in the created order. And that's, that's really the first place that my mind goes when I think about this issue of uh, homosexuality and how we ought to look at it from a Christian and a biblical, from an Orthodox Christian or a biblical perspective. Because God has a, and it brings in the whole idea of, of uh, transgender and all the aspects of sexuality that are related to the Alphabet Mafia's acronym. So, in, God, in the created order, we know God says, Genesis chapter 1, right, verse 27, he created them male and female, or male, he made them male and female, right? He created them that way. There's only two gen, genders in the created design of God. It's male and female, and he created those genders for a particular reason, right? That those genders were created because men and women are compatible compatible to one another in this sense that we are we are helpmates for one another uh, and we complete one another in the physical and biological way uh, we are mirror opposites of one another and I think God intended it for to be that way and within the created order of male and female in that relationship that God intended in a covenant marriage for a lifetime is the potential for procreation. And after all, the first commandment that God gave them after uh, was, I think it's even even uh, before the fall, God had called them to, to be fruitful and multiply, right? Part of what men and women were to do were to unite with one another in a covenant marriage one man one woman for a lifetime and they were to produce children uh, and part of that was to populate the earth the other part of that as Malachi reveals is to produce godly offspring now we know 
that even if uh, you know one thing I listened to today one one of the well, you know even on our best day as parents we're not the best parents we could be but on the worst day we're not the worst we could be uh, either so if if our children turn out to be godly children it's ultimately because God worked in their life to bring them bring them to the point of being godly children yes he uses us as a means to an end as a tool as an influence in their life and we ought to do everything we can to influence them for God but we need to know the credit ultimately goes to God because it it's God who works in them and brings them to that point and if they turn out no matter how hard you try to push them toward Christianity and influence them toward Christian ideology and, uh, you know, values and push them toward Christ uh, in redemption, uh, even if they rebel and turn away. It's not, it's not entirely your fault that that happened, right? Uh, you could do the best you can, and you still have children who will not follow after Christ, who will not bow their knee uh, to Jesus Christ, who will go their own way. <clears throat> so, uh, but back to the created order thing, God in, God's intent in the created order was, as it relates to sexuality, is for men and women to come together in a marriage relationship and sex was given to humanity in the confines of a covenant marriage relationship where man and a woman uh, commit to one another for a lifetime and they, they enjoy the fruit of that commitment and that marriage and part of that fruit is uh, sexual intercourse, the pleasure that comes with it, plus the um, the children that come out of that and, and the, the legacy and, and the, you know, uh, impact that you make in the world because you continue to do what God had called you uh, to do. And so, you know, that's why God in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says to them, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall be or the two shall become one flesh. Now, I get it. We'll talk about singleness a bit in just a moment. But you know, you know, one of the first things that happens in Christianity, and sometimes I think we we do this, and I've probably been guilty of this to some degree, because I am such a proponent of the created order and God's design for the nuclear family. I think the nuclear family is the fundamental element that makes for a uh, strong society, and I think God intended it to be that way. It is the it is the first and foremost governing unit in society. And then everything else flows from that nuclear family. And that's why Satan, for all of my lifetime, uh, and probably for all of your lifetime, and for all the lifetimes before us, uh, has been bent on destroying the nuclear family in order to destroy God's designed plan. Now, we know Satan can't do anything God doesn't allow him to do, and he, he's never going to win because God's already won, right? God already knows the plan. God's unfolding his plan. But that's been his bent. And we see the effect of that on society today because Satan has done a good job with society to uh, minimize, to uh, almost you know, relegate the traditional nuclear family to a sideshow, right? Uh, and so that's why we see a lot of things we see in our society uh, today. But, again, there are those, and we'll talk about it in a moment, there are those that God has gifted with the gift of singleness, right? Just like he's gifted others with the gift of marriage, but he's gifted some with the gift of singleness. I would think that probably more often than not, men and women will have desires to get married with one to one another, right? We raised our kids to, to grow up, get married, have babies, and you know, raise godly offspring, impact the world for the kingdom, uh, kingdom of God, starting from your family and moving out uh, from there. And so, 
there's nothing necessarily wrong with singleness, and sometimes I think the way we we uh, the way we talk and the way we uh, elevate family might cause some people who are single to think that they are less than less lesser Christians or lesser individuals or humans because they don't fit that mold. Well, for some people, singleness is uh, God's desire and plan for your life. After all, Jesus was a single young adult, right? Uh, and Paul, you know, greatest you know, apostle, uh, most people would agree with that, I think, that are Christians. Uh, he, he was a single uh, adult, so there's nothing wrong with that, and we'll talk again about that in a moment, but I still think that didn't change the fact that I think God's created design was for men and women to come together in holy matrimony, in a covenant marriage, to uh, procreate, to have children, to impact this world uh, with, from our perspective, New Testament perspective, with the gospel of Christ, by beginning their missionary movement in their home and preparing their kids to be those arrows in the quiver, to be shot into the world, and to continue the kingdom ministry wherever they may go. So, I think just based on the created order that, you know, homosexuality uh, side A, the the full affirmation of it is completely absurd because God didn't intend for you to be that way. And if God's created design is man and male and female, and for a man to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, male and female, then it makes no sense that God uh, God would create you to be opposite from His created order or his design for human sexuality so just from that the, the that that side a aspect of christianity or side a christians their their theology uh falls apart at the very beginning of god's work in genesis chapter one and genesis chapter two and, you know jesus also talks about this in matthew 19 jesus brings marriage in or talks about marriage and he takes it all the way back to the created order right so everybody says jesus never speaks about homosexuality well no he didn't ever use the term homosexual right uh he didn't use the he didn't even use the term paul uses uh arsenicoite uh as it relates to homosexuality but what did jesus do he grounded anthropology in the created order he grounded the fact of who we are, male and female, biologically. That's how God created us, in the created order. And he grounded marriage in the created order. Quoting from Genesis chapter 2, if you will, that a man, a, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So in that sense, he is saying the same thing that God the Father is saying. You can expect God the Son to say the same thing because they're both equally uh, divine, right? Equally God. One first person, second person, third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, uh, would inspire us to follow after that truth as well. So in my opinion, that that the, the theology of side A Christians or Christianity falls apart at the created order. You, you don't even have to go to Leviticus where God says that it is an abomination to lie with a man as you lie with a woman. You know, And there are other things right, that he talks about that are sexually sinful <coughs> as well. So for me, that's, that's the easy one. There is no tenable way biblically to say that Homosex, we ought to affirm same-sex marriage, same-sex relationships, uh, and be gay-affirming in that sense of side A Christianity. Now, side B might be a little bit more tricky because side B, as we remember in the definition, side B uh, had this idea that a person would have sexual tendencies that were toward uh, the same sex. As a matter of fact, if you go uh, listen to the debate between Dr. James White and Dr. Gregory Cole, 
one of the things that he kept he said over and over again in that debate was, and this is this just from just from a human perspective, okay, um, fallen human perspective. This is hard for me to believe. Now I don't know his heart. I don't know what goes on in his mind. You can take him for at his word, but just observing humanity for the fifty-five years that I've been alive, uh, in myself and in other people, he kept saying that he had that God had not given him the desire to uh, be attracted to people of the opposite sex, either in a positive way or in a negative, lustful, sinful kind of way. And, and, and again, I, I find that hard to believe because, one, uh, he is a human being just like every other human being. God created us to have the sexual, natural sexual desires and passions. That's the way creation intended for us to be, right? Men ought to be attracted to women. Women ought to be attracted to men. And again, I'm not going to say that there's never that... That never happens because I can't look in his heart and know. And I know that there are people who are happily single, because, uh, single Christians. Um, they are Christians who are single, right? Uh, and they are able to. They are able to deal with whatever temptation may come their way and overcome it, right? Because Paul, that's what Paul talks about. And again, not to get too far ahead of myself, but that's what Paul talks about in the issue of being, you know, he wishes everyone was as he was, uh, single. But he goes on to say, if you cannot control those passions and desires, the, so the implication of what Paul is saying is there are innate natural passions and desires that God has given to men and women that would cause us to be attracted to the opposite sex. So to say that God never gave you that is, um, I think, goes too far. You might not have been tempted in that way. You might not have felt that draw in that way. But if God created us male and female and he created us, the created order demands that we have those natural tendencies, then I think they are there. They may just be latent, right? Because right now you may be dealing with same-sex attraction which is disordered attraction, as we'll talk about in a minute. So that gets to the slide that we got here. Side B, the dangers that we see in side B, maybe not so obvious because it deals, because it, side B Christians remember say that, hey, sexual, homosexual activity in the sense of homosexual sex is wrong, right? Is, is, is sinful, you shouldn't engage in that. Homosexual marriage is wrong and sinful, unbiblical. You shouldn't engage in that. But homosexual identity and homosexual desires are not necessarily sinful because that's the way God, that's what God gave you. That's how he created you, right? So still the underlying issue is identity and sexuality. Uh, and so I think it's an unbiblical identity and an unbiblical sexuality that's at the root of it. And so, just on my notes, if you've seen them there, and I got my Bible over here, I probably need to get it out, get myself situated, um, because I want to read a passage of scripture or two. I could have put them on the screen as well, but I didn't. So, here, here's what I, I wrote in my notes. Fundamental issues with side B, all right? One, there's disordered desire. And again, I go back to 
the issue of the created order and how God intended for us to be. And uh, I had in my notes Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there, your digital device, and flip over to Romans chapter 1. And Paul begins his letter, his epistle to the Romans in this way, talking about the gospel, right? And I don't have time to teach Romans, but in the... Uh, in the introduction, the theme verse is that, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? And then he begins to unfold for us this gospel. And he says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And by the way, we went through at Friendship Baptist Church, we went through the whole book of Romans. Um, took us a year or so. And you can go find that on the podcast, on YouTube, at Friendship Baptist Church's YouTube site. If you just go to, if you just Google Friendship Baptist Tallacy, uh, we have a website. You can click on it, and there's a there's a little link uh, on there for you to go find YouTube uh, videos for the sermon. So you can find that, uh, or you can go to my podcast. Most of them are on the podcast as well. So we, I deal with this extensively there, but I wanted to bring these verses to bear on this um on this topic. So, uh, verse 21 through 27 is really the, the pertinent verses I wanted to get to. So, we won't read the whole chapter because I might have a tendency to want to do that. Uh, chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts, so don't miss that, they became futile in their thinking, right? And so their foolish hearts... Trying to get this off where you can see my beautiful face again. There it goes. So they they became futile in their in their thinking. Um, having connection issues that's saying on my end, so hopefully it'll connect back up if you miss it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts, so their thinking was futile, their their hearts were foolish in the way that they were thinking. And what happened? Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became few fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the Im images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to, uh, up in their lust, or their desires, their passions of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies. So the way they were thinking, the way they were understanding their sexuality in this text is dishonoring, and it's, and it's uh, impure. And how does God, God define that? He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. And he says, for this reason, God gave them up for, uh, to dis dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men Con men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So, the point I want to get at is, you know, one of the things that they try to deal with and are used as a valid thing in side B Christians or side B Christianity is that the passion or the desire is okay. It's the acting out on that desire that is the sinful 
aspect of it so you can main you can still have those desires as long as you stay celibate as long as you don't act out on those on those desires and it's okay to identify then as a same-sex attracted christian or a gay christian to use the simpler simpler term but what does god's word say that even the desires are disordered and it really it goes back to the created order that that's really what paul is alluding to the way god created us designed us male and female so i think there's a misconception they have a disordered desire right even the desires are contrary to nature. They're contrary to the way God designed us. All right? So I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that if you, and I guess we have to nuance and be, be careful here because, you know, it's not necessarily a sin to be tempted, okay? The sin is given in to that temptation where it's all internally uh, lusting after, as Jesus talks about when he's correcting the religious leaders on their misunderstanding of the law. It goes beyond just the physical. It goes into the mind and the heart, right? And the intent of the mind and the heart. But it's not necessarily to be. It's not necessarily sinful to be tempted. All right. But the point I'm, we need to, because Jesus was tempted, right? So if it was sinful to be tempted, then Jesus engaged in sinful activity, which we know he didn't. He who knew no sin, right? He was tempted in every way that we were, but he did not sin. So it's not wrong to be tempted, even to those disordered desires. But we need to understand that those desires are disordered, right? They, they, are not a, they are not part of the normal created order of God. And so that's God, not God's design and will for your life to have those kinds of passions. Now, I'm not saying that if you get rid of those passions, you, you, you know, like Dr. Uh, Ewan says, you know, the, the, he thought at one time that if he, if he would be, if he, the more women he would lust after and be attracted to, the, 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 the more you know, holier he would be in his sexuality, which is absurd, right? Uh, God, God doesn't want that end of the spectrum either. B but there is something to be said about the natural way God created us and the desires, the natural desires that God uh, intended for this, us to have, us to be attracted to the opposite sex. And anything outside of that is a disordered desire. And I think it has no bearing biblically for us to maintain that that is an okay thing because the whole concept of that desire is opposed to the created order of God. So secondly, there's a disordered idea of sanctification. And again, probably one of the best passages that you and I could go to is it deals with the issue of any sin, really. Uh, and in particular, in our case here, homosexuality is 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 6. Because Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The pertinent verse is verse 11, but we need to read some passages uh, a little bit before that to get the context, okay? So, just so you won't have to look at that the entire time. All right, so you can watch me read and study see the notes. So I'm going to start in verse 9 because Paul's dealing with a, a litany of sinful activity, right? Including even, uh, you know, uh, unjust lawsuits and, and things like that in and then he goes into this vice list. So even we'll start in verse seven because verse seven brings up this issue about the lawsuits, right? Or um, here in verse six, but brother goes to law against brother, and there and and that before unbelievers. And so the point is that hey, as Christians, we ought to work things out amongst ourselves, right? Because one day we'll be judging angels, as Paul <coughs> makes clear. We ought not do those kinds of things, right? We ought to, we ought to be able to handle things amongst our ourselves. I know that's not always a reality. 
Verse 7, it goes on to say, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why, why not rather suffer wrong? Uh, why not rather be defrauded? In other words, you know, uh, if you can't mend the fence and take care of the issue, you just, uh, you just take the blow, is what he's saying. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, Or do you not know, and he begins this vice list. Now, I think this is part of the vice list, this idea of this unbiblical, un unfruitful uh, lawsuits. He says, Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so that's why I say I think this idea of these lawsuits is wrapped up in what he's about to say because unrighteousness is a blanket statement, right? Of all unrighteousness, all sinfulness, all rebellion against the moral uh, holiness of God, okay? And Paul uses that again. Remember over in, in Romans 1, he uses that very similar language. And he goes on to say, uh, again, verse 9, Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. All right, so, so far that is, if you want to use the vernacular of the day, you, you know, heterosexual, same-sex issues, right? That, that would be in the mind of it of the one hearing this right, those who uh, are sexually immoral, sexual immorality, you know, when, it, when the Bible tells us not to uh, commit adultery, uh, if we went through a study on the Ten Commandments at Friendship Baptist, and you can go again, go find that on our website and find it on, on my podcast, but the, the moral code of God, the, the law against uh, or prohibition against adultery is really a category that deals with all sexual sin because sex is something that God created to be enjoyed in the confines of a covenant marriage and so any uh, between a man and a woman for a lifetime. So any sex outside of that covenant relationship is sexual immorality, is unbiblical, is unlawful, is sin. So that again, that, that is an encompassing word. So he goes on to say again, it says, do, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And again, I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's arsenicoite is the word that Paul uses there. And I've done a whole talk on arsenicoite. Uh, you can go find that uh, on Facebook Live. I don't know if that's on my podcast. It may have been before I started doing my podcast. But anyway, uh, that's another topic for another day. <clears throat> because there will be people who will, you know, try to refute the use of that term. Uh, there's a whole entire movie that's come out. I don't think it's made a lot of traction yet. I think it's 1947 uh, that deals with this issue of the word homosexuality in the English put into uh, the translation of the Bible. Uh, but it's the word arson cortes, what men do with men in bed. It comes from Leviticus uh, where they are uh, side by side. And uh, the Greek words are side by side in the Septuagint. And Paul just puts them together. Uh, it's um, uh, most people believe that Paul probably coined this word in in this context. There may be some use of it outside of a biblical context, but uh, we know exactly where Paul got it from. And so he says, in this homosexuality uh, is one of those sinful activities, along with sexual immoral, immorality and idolatry, and uh, and thieves, nor the greedy, covetousness, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. He says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the implication of that is because all of us were like that, what Paul's going to tell us at one time. But the implication is no one who 
is in their sinfulness will inherit the kingdom of God. God must redeem you from your sinfulness in Christ Jesus, clothe you in his righteousness uh, in order for you to stand before him not guilty because all of us are guilty. And that's the important part of verse 11. And that's why I think that those who hold to side B Christianity, who think they can maintain the identity of their disordered desires, the identity that is associated with this sinful activity, they have misunderstood what God says about sanctification. That's why I say they have this idea of a distorted sanctification. Because look at what Paul says. Now, what Paul's about to say in this passage does not mean that at the moment we come to Christ that we are sinless and perfect. If that were true, not a one of us would be would be uh, have any hope because there's not a human being on this planet aside from Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was sinless and perfect. And we live in Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do are the things I do, and the things I want to do are the things I don't do, right? Because this flesh I still drag with me, and it is still prone to sinfulness. But there is a fundamental transformation that takes place within us when it comes to our redemption in Christ Jesus, and Paul makes this point in verse 11 and he says and such were some of you not such are some of you and so to me that debunks the whole idea that I can hang on to my identity which is associated with this sinful activity and these disordered desires whether it's saying I'm a gay Christian right and, and one of the obvious things that we do whenever someone talks about this issue and say, hey, you know, talks about gay Christianity, and we say, hey, it, it doesn't make sense for you to identify yourself with your sinfulness as a Christian. What if you change the word, right? What if you say racist Christian, right? Well, we'd get all up and roar, uh, up in arms about that, right? Because a person might say, hey, I have racist tendencies. I don't act on them. I'm tempted toward them sometimes, people might say, but I don't act on them. But they wouldn't describe themselves as a racist Christian, right? We, we you boy, you'd be canceled in a moment if you, uh, if, if somebody said that. But think about the, the other aspects of it: adulterous Christian, right? It just doesn't make sense that we identify ourselves as our sinfulness, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But our sanctification ought to change us from what we used to be into what God intends for us to be. And again, the intent is not that I that I necessarily are a person who struggles with homosexual uh, same-sex attraction, it's not necessarily that they would cease that and begin to be uh, attracted necessarily to uh, same-sex, I mean opposite-sex people, although that's the natural desires that God's given us. The end goal is not that. The end goal is ultimately to be sanctified and live a holy life the way God intended us for our life, to live, and we'll talk about it in a moment, getting ahead of myself, but to live in, in holy sexuality, the way God intended for us to enjoy this thing that we call sex that he has given us in, in the biblical understanding of what that what that is. So that's what Paul is saying. There, there's no biblical concept of a person identifying with their sinfulness or remaining in that state of sinfulness uh, because they used to be that way when they come to Christ. Now they're a new creation in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11 again. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And don't miss the last part of that because that leads into this concept of our identity. So when a person 
we have a mis they have a distorted idea of sanctification god god ought to be sanctifying us to be holy sexually right in in the biblical sense of that understanding and be holy in general just like he is holy to be like christ okay and then there's the idea of this identity the last part of that verse 11 says our identity is wrapped up in Jesus, right? Who we are in Jesus, not who we used to be in this world, not who we, not not the sins that we battle, not the temptations that we battle, but our identity is who we are in Christ. That's why we ought to say, no, not gay Christian, not adulterous Christian, not lying Christian, not whatever Christian, just Christian, because I identify with Jesus Christ, and my identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, and that's really the third aspect of the uh, notes, if you look down there, the displaced identity. And so the two statements on that is our sinful predilections do not define us, i.e. 1 Corinthians 6.11. They don't define who we are. Who we are in Christ defines us, and that uh, goes over to Galatians. Uh, got to remember my Bible drills now. Galatians chapter 3. Listen to this passage, and a lot of people try to use this passage and misinterpret and misuse this passage, but Galatians chapter 3 and verse, verse 28, listen to what Paul says. And again, this is part of a broader context, but it drives home this point about our, our, our identity being in Christ and not who we used to be, right? And not what we battle as fallen creatures who drag this fallen flesh with us every day, even though we've been redeemed. Uh, in verse 28 it says, but now that faith has come, we no longer are under guard. Am I in, I'm in chapter 3, yeah, in verse 28. Oh, I'm reading verse 25. That's for one reason it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it's a good passage because we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We're under the grace and redemption that comes in Christ. And we are baptized into Christ. And we put on Christ, it says there in verse uh, 27. And all of those are speaking with this idea of our identity. And so those on side B Christian, those side B Christians or side B Christianity who want to maintain the identity that's associated with disordered desires and a sinful activity are, have, a, have a displaced, misunderstood aspect of who we are in Christ Jesus. They have a displaced identity. Our identity ought to be in Christ. And look what Paul says in verse 28 in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Now, they were Jews. They were Greeks. They were slave. They were free. And sometimes they may even be in the same church. Isn't that amazing? That they might have been in the same congregation. But God says when we come in Christ, those identities don't define us. Christ defines us, and who we are in Christ is what defines us. He goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now again, uh, the transgender movement might go to that verse and say, look, there's no male, no female. You've done away with that in Christ, so you ought to accept that as well. That's not what Paul's saying, right? There's definitely male and female in, in Christian circles and in, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is those things are secondary. Those are secondary 
to who you are in Christ Jesus. All of us come to Christ Jesus in the same way as broken, fallen human beings. All of us battle with sinful predilections and desires. Not a one of us escape that, right? From the preacher to the pew, every one of us, right? Christian and non-Christian alike, right? But for the Christian, we have identified with Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. We've been made a new creation. God has said we are sanctified. And like I told them Wednesday night, Sunday morning, or whatever, I say it quite often, salvation is monergistic. It is all of God and none of us. There's nothing I can do that can cause me to be saved. I can't work my way to heaven. I can't be good enough to get to heaven. Nothing I can do can save me. For You are saved by, by grace through faith, right? And that not of yourself is the gift of God. all of what Christ has done. But, but sanctification is synergistic. Sanctification is a work of God. He's declared us sanctified. Now, I hadn't fully reached the declaration that he's made because I still drag this flesh with me, and he's still working on me today. But there, is plenty, there are plenty of scriptures in the Bible that tell us to join God in this work of sanctification by putting off the old man, putting on the new man, right? As Paul says, to mortify the flesh, reckon it as dead. And, and in those aspects, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as Paul said in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> so in that sense, we are to join God in this act of sanctifying work in our life. And sanctification is a process. And that process ought to lead us to be more holy, more like God. And that includes our desires and our passions. They ought to line up with the created order that God has set before us with our desires and our passions. So again, I think side both side A and side B Christianity uh, have untenable um, under underlyings, and they're unbiblical, and we cannot maintain either one of them. <clears throat> so what what do we do? How do we respond to these issues? And so. Uh, on the notes, this is where I introduced Dr. Christopher Ewan, and you can go find him on YouTube. Um, he wrote several books. I didn't write down any that he he wrote, but he was a gay man addicted to drugs, all kinds of things. He ended up in prison, um, got out of prison early, got saved while he was in prison. God brought him out of homosexuality. God brought him out of drug addiction. God called him into the ministry. Uh, has taught at Moody Bible Institute for numbers of years and speaks all over the place. So anyway, now again, there are some of the things when you listen to his testimony and listen to how he says handle these things, there's still some of the things that I disagree with that he says because one of the questions that come up in dealing with, you know, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're, you're a couple, you have a homosexual child, right? A child that's uh, embraced homosexuality and say they they say, hey, I'm, a, I'm going to get married. I'm going to marry this person of the same sex. And as a Christian, as I've already outlined, unbiblical, right? Uh, egregious, an abomination, not God's created order, not God's design, sinful. And we can't take part of that, right? We can't have any, any part of that. Now we, So how do you deal with that? Well, one of the things that he says is, hey, you know, that's a personal matter. You've got you to gotta, you gotta pray about it and fast about it and all those kinds of things. I, I, I believe in praying and I believe in fasting. But there's some things that we have to be just like uh, the three Hebrew 
a young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not their Hebrew names, we never remember their Hebrew names though, right? <laughs> but they said to the king about bowing to the idol, we don't even have to answer you in this matter, right? We, we ain't got to think about it. We're just not doing it. Uh, and I think that's the same thing with the issue of homosexual marriage, right? If I had a child who was who who came out as homosexual, I, I'm going to love my child. They are my child, and they'll never cease to be my child. And I'm going to love them with all of my heart, and I'm going to love them enough to share the truth of God's word with them. Now, that may mean that our relationship is hindered a little bit. But if they decided they were going to get married... As a pastor, there'd be no, absolutely no way that I would officiate that ceremony. So that would damage that relationship probably. But if I just say I'm not, you're not a pastor and you're just a parent, right? How do you deal with that? Well, one of the things that he even suggests, Dr. Ewan suggests, is maybe you don't go to the ceremony, but maybe you go to the reception afterwards. Or maybe you don't buy one wedding present for the both of them as a, as a married couple, but you buy individual presence so you 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 honor the people but not the ceremony well i think all of that's wrong because all of that is saying that hey I, in some way I, I tip my hat in a token way to this sinful activity and this sinful life lifestyle and we as we as christians cannot do that and so my opinion is hey you need to sit down and talk with your child about this and talk with them in a, an honest way and stand firm on your faith love them tell them you love them let them show them you love them right but help them understand that because of who God is and what God requires of me, I cannot be a part of that. That there's no question about it. I cannot sanction and condone that. Right? And, you know, that may, that may mean, hey, that relationship for all practical purposes may be over. And I'm not saying that's an easy thing. It's an easy thing for me to sit here and say. I'm not saying it's an easy, easy thing for you to do. But, I think it's something we have to do as Christian parents. It's something that we have to be honest about and we have to talk about and we have to stand on Orthodox Christianity as it relates to it. We, we cannot even give, give token aspect. And I get, I get it. In the back of everybody's mind is what about those people who are, are, are adulterous or you know doing all these other sins, right? Um, Pornia in, in the sense of, of, of drugs, abusing alcohol whatever if any of my kids were doing that i'd love them they would they would almost be my kid but again i would have no part in what they were doing in that lifestyle and i would constantly be telling them that that lifestyle is wrong and sinful and dangerous and it's going to lead them uh to a premature grave it's going to lead them to a place that they they don't they, they wish they had never went to and that may even end the relationship that we have because they might not want to hear that right but I have to love them enough to tell them the truth about these uh, issues. And so those are, I was just giving you an example of what I might not agree with Dr. Ewan on. But for the most part, I, I like a lot of what he says on this issue. Um, and so a couple things that I put up on my notes that I'll put back up so you can see them if I can click this thing. So, uh, oh man, click, click too, too hard too many times. So uh, first thing that I thought about is one of the things that he says, and I put it in my words on the on the on point number one. Understand the reality of progressive sanctification. We, we need to understand that, and I think he's right about that. We need to understand the reality of sancti of progressive sanctification because if there's someone who is battling with homosexual tendencies, 
homosexual desires. Maybe it's full-on engaged in homosexual activity, whatever. When God redeems them, it doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily overnight be rid of that. Now, in, there are some cases when things like that happen. You know, in my life, man, when I was a teenager, I could, I could curse with the best of them, right? Because it's what you hear and what you see all around you, school, wherever, TV, movies, whatever. I could curse with the rest of them. But when God saved me, that's one of the things that he took away from me instantly. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think them. And that doesn't mean that there's never been a time when one hasn't come out of my mouth even in a muffled way, okay? But that's one thing that I generally don't have to deal with because God has taken that away from me for the most part, okay? And so even with that, I'd say that, you know, it's not 100%. Every now and then, I have let one come out in a muffled way. Um, but, and I still think them sometimes, but for the most part, I'd, my kids wouldn't probably be hard-pressed for them to find a time when they could say, yeah, I heard my daddy say a cuss word. So in some cases, things like that, things like that uh, are removed overnight. And for some people, that may be the case. But other people, they still battle with things, right? And we all know, you know, drug addiction, alcoholism, those are things. God can take it away. But a lot of people still have the temptation and the draw. And you don't even have to go that far. You can go with cigarettes, right? Um, and, you know, debate whether it's sinful or not, right? That's another topic for another day. But just think about the addicting aspect of it, right? And people still battle with it. Even though they quit, throw it away, they still have that draw sometimes that they have to deal with and battle with. So uh, he says, change is not the absence of temptation, Dr. Ewan does. It is the ability to be holy even in the midst of temptation. Man, I think that's something that every Christian ought to write down on you know the walls of their heart, maybe on your sticky note on your mirror, right? It, it, change doesn't mean when God redeems us in that way. It doesn't mean we'll never be tempted again, and never be drawn in in those ways. But it does mean that God gives us the person of the Holy Spirit, and as Paul describes it, as we walk after the Spirit, the righteous requirements of the law can be manifest in us. We have in us the capacity to live and be holy because our God is holy and our God indwells us, right? And wherever there's a temptation, the Bible tells us God gives us a way out of that. So we just got to understand because none of us are perfectly sanctified. And if we expect everybody to be perfectly sanctified, then we're expecting things of them that we don't expect of ourselves. And that's usually the way it is, right? And so the second thing about what he said that I thought was really important for us to grasp, okay? Because I think sometimes one of the things that we we tend to do as Christians, maybe, at least this is from his perspective, as one who's gone through all of this, is sometimes we, we try to help people think that the end goal is heterosexuality, okay? That that's the end goal. Now, you've already heard my argument on the created order aspect. I think to use our language of our, the language of our day, heterosexuality is the fundamental ideology of the created order. That I, as a man, am designed to be attracted to my wife, who is a woman, who is a female, Right? And the intention of God in the created order was for a man to find a woman and for the two of them to be joined in a covenant marriage for a lifetime and enjoy the benefits thereof 
part of which is sexual intercourse, which has both physical pleasure, emotional uh, pleasure, and and bonding, bonding, and the ability for us to procreate and bring in children to enjoy the 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 blessing that children are right children are a blessing from the lord and even today we 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 try to put that down don't we we look at people and say don't y'all know what causes that right well god says be fruitful and multiply right and so we we look at people strange sometimes when they have more than two <laughs> right but there's nothing wrong with children god god has called children a blessing and they are arrows in the quiver they're a legacy they're they're an opportunity to advance the kingdom of god and all those things that go along with it and so but sometimes we we make that as the end goal and and what he really stated that struck me was that holy sexuality is the end goal now holy sexuality would include the created order designed for men and women but the real point he's making, which I think is a point that all of us need to understand, is that God's called us to be holy. Isn't that what Peter said, to, for, <coughs> quoting from the Old Testament? Isn't that what Peter said? Be holy, for I am holy, is what God says. And holy sexuality would, from a biblical perspective, would be for us to live in light of the created order so if you are a if you are a single individual holy sexuality would look like this that you you practice abstinence until such time that God brings that person of the opposite sex into your life that you come to love and desire to spend the rest of your life with before that happens if you're a single adult you remain abstinent now that's where paul is getting when he says hey i wish everybody could be like me you know this is just my opinion it's, it, it, in essence is what paul says this is not a command from the lord this is my opinion i wish everybody could be like me because if you're single like that then you can give every ounce of your energy to the kingdom of god and, but if you're going to be that way, part of holy sexuality is that you abstain from sexual intercourse altogether. Because sex is designed to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in a covenant marriage for a lifetime. Any sexual activity outside of that is sinful sexual activity. And so that's a large ask. That's why Paul says, but if you cannot control those desires you see it goes back to these desires all of us are going to be drawn in some way sinfully right we're going to be tempted to sin whether it be sexual sin or whether it be you know gluttony overeating whatever it is you're going to be you're going to be tempted to sinfulness and paul says in this case in sexual desire if you can't control those then you need to seek god's face on entering into a marriage with a person of the opposite sex that you want to spend a lifetime with in a covenant relationship and enjoy the fruits that God has designed for that covenant relationship. That's what it looks like for a single person. 
But if you're a married person, what does it look like? Well, it's like the author of Hebrews says, the marriage bed ought to be undefiled. We ought not covet another man's wife. We ought not lust after other women. We ought to have eyes only for our wife or our husband, vice versa, if you're a woman. That our sexual desire ought to be toward our spouse, our wife or our husband, if you're a male or female, vice versa. And it ought to be fulfilled and satisfied in that relationship. And so, that's holy sexuality from a biblical perspective. And that's what we got to move toward. And the only way that happens, the only way that happens is for a person to be redeemed. Is for a person to be redeemed by Christ. And so that leads to the last point. I'll wrap it up. It's been an hour and ten minutes and one of these feeds keeps uh, falling away. So let, let's put the notes back up there and we'll go to the concluding uh, part, the summary part of it. Some final thoughts, right? Final thoughts. So, three three main broad topics, and really it's just to kind of summarize what we've talked about re- relating to this is- issue of side A Christians and side B Christians and how should we respond to the whole issue of homosexuality. One, one final thought was, all of us have a sin problem. There's not a human being on planet Earth that doesn't have a sin problem. We, we must have a biblical anthropology. Paul tells us, Romans chapter 3, there's none who seek God. There's none who understand. There's none righteous. No, not one, right? We're all vile, wretched, rebellious people. We rebel against God. John tells us, light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So we all have a sin problem. The answer to that sin problem is Christ Jesus. That's the answer to our sin problem. I can't turn over a new leaf and try my, my best to, to work my way into heaven. I, I can't do that because I'm going to sin. Apart from a redeeming, regenerative work of Christ in my life, my nature is bent toward sinfulness. Jesus said, there is none good, no, not one. The only person good is God. So I don't have the capacity to do good in me apart from the regenerative redeeming work of Christ in my life. The only answer, I don't care if you use the vernacular of the day, only natural, the only <coughs> answer for the heterosexual sinner or the homosexual sinner is Christ Jesus. Every one of us need Christ to redeem us and change us and transform us and to clothe us in his righteousness. That's our only hope. It's our only hope. That's what we need to be pointing people toward. doesn't matter where they come from or what, what sin they're struggling with, right? That's where we need to point people, to Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He is the one who will deal with your sinfulness and redeem you and change you and give you eternal hope and eternal life. And then the second thing is about our identity. Our identity is rooted and grounded in who we are in Christ, not our sexual or sinful predilections. We cannot identify ourselves as what we used to be or what we still struggle with in life. We must identify ourselves with who we are in Christ Jesus as Christians, right? 
That's where our identity is. It's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Not in us. Not in who we are. Not in what we do. It's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Who I am in Jesus Christ. And God has told me in his word that I am <coughs> sanctified. I am justified. I am glorified in Christ Jesus. I am redeemed in Christ Jesus. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus when I come to faith in him. And it's who I am in Christ Jesus that I must identify with. And who it is that God is creating me to be in Christ Jesus that I am to identify with. It's all about Christ. So don't fall in this idea that you can, you can, you can put an adjective in front of Christian. No. We are Christians who identify with Christ and our identity is wrapped up in who we are in Christ. And then the last thing uh, is on the notes, if I can get it back up there for you. This is more cumbersome than I would like for it to be. Right now, it won't even click. Click. There it goes, but it didn't show. That's the thing I hate about it. Anyway, the last thing is, there it finally came. The last thing is, be holy because he is holy. I already talked about that, Peter quoting from the Old Testament. That's what God's called us to be. Holy. That includes every aspect of our life. And the only way that happens is if Christ is in us. If Christ has redeemed us. If Christ has changed us. Those things getting on my nerves at this last minute. There we go. So, that's my spiel on that. Maybe it makes sense to you. Maybe it's helpful to you. Uh, there, there are people, some of the people that I've talked about, especially Dr. Ewan. Again, I don't agree with everything he says. I gave you one example of that. But he's thought through this thing, and he has some good things to say about it. So it'd be worth listening to some of the things that he says. And there's another uh, lady, uh, Rosetta Butterfield. Uh, and I've listened to a little bit of her testimony and her story um, and her take on these things as well. And again, she is opposed to the side A and the side B, Christianity. So there are people out there who are talking about these things in, in a biblical, from a biblical perspective. And you and I need to be thinking about these things from a biblical perspective because they're in the forefront right now in our culture, right? And it is the battle that the church is fighting uh, today, among others, but it's one of the four, foremost uh, cultural issues that the church is, is dealing with right now. And there are more and more people in the, in the community of Christianity that are caving uh, into the culture around them and the pressures of the culture to be affirming and all those kinds of things. And we must, we must speak the truth, speak the truth in love, but speak the truth nonetheless. And we can't back down. And when it comes to the public square, we must press back hard against those in political power and positions of power who are trying to ram this down our throat and those who are trying to ram this onto our culture and onto our children. We must push back. And we must have a biblical foundation from which we are presenting our argument. Okay, But most importantly, point people to Christ. It is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. That's how people are changed. That's how people are saved. It's through Christ Jesus. 
If nothing else, push them to Christ and trust Christ to do what only he can do. So hopefully that was helpful to you and beneficial to you. And um, We'll see you again. We'll put it up uh, on the podcast here in just a bit. Uh, may or may not get up on Rumble. I don't know. I might download it from Facebook just in case uh, it gets deleted from there. Then I can put it up on Rumble later on, and you can find it there if you want to. But it'll be on the podcast unless they start deleting things, which so far they hadn't used Spotify uh, for podcasters right now. So it, they don't seem to be uh, too worried about what I say. Of course, my audience is like you know really small, so uh, and the, they're not threatened by anything I have to say at this moment. But hopefully, it's beneficial to you. The ones who listen and that it'll help you and, and maybe it's something that you can point other people to that may need help uh and like i say there's other people out there that are more eloquent than i about uh, these topics so i'd encourage you to do your research and listen uh as well so until next time may the lord keep you and bless you and cause his face to shine upon you